you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? How could you ask me that? I thought we were friends. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And as a reminder, we are still watching the 2017 Spider-Man cartoon, which is available on Disney Plus if you would like to watch along with us. And we have a really incredible response to our last episode from one of our awesome patrons, Lillian. Um, last episode, we talked uh, a lot about Doc Ock because we were first introduced to Otto Octavius in that episode. And I admittedly had a lot to say about the casting choice and performance of Scott Menville, uh, which I will fully own. <laughs> I, I kind of prefaced it so y'all knew it was coming. But Lillian had some thoughts uh, on our discussion, and I'm so glad that she decided to share them. And we did ask if it was okay for, for us to read her thoughts, and she, she said, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it because um, I think it's really, really awesome. So Lillian said, I have to respectfully disagree with you on the voice of Otto in this property. I know to some people it may sound like the actor is putting on a voice for this character, but honestly to me it just sounds like someone with autism. I have a similar disability, and I have quite a few friends on the spectrum, and trust me, between his voice and general mannerisms, I'm 100% sure the man is autistic. Maybe that'll help you feel better about his voice. I don't know. Um, and, you know, obviously we messaged and said, like, this is amazing. Can we can we talk about this? And she said, yeah. Um, and in her, in her, you know, agreeing to that, she also included, I always love to see representation of differences like mine in media, even if they never specifically call it out, and even if we know he'll be villainous later incredible incredible response i'm so happy because like i said i had so much to say about that and lillian's given us like an entirely new perspective on the character and like lens to look through and it does give me a new appreciation for the character i i fully admit i'll probably always be frustrated that Patton oswald is right there because my very <laughs> narrow focus uh and narrow scope uh is is holding me back um, and so I, I still have a lot to figure out. I think it's probably sort of complicated when it's tied up in something so specific like that. But I'm so happy that Lillian reached out because it does help me see it in a different way. 
Um, and I was very obviously struggling to do that. And it points out that I, you know, probably, and I haven't, you know, <laughs> I haven't listened back to how I said things after Lillian messaged us, but I'm sure I was not the most sensitive in the way that I was describing some of the the ways that Otto communicates. So I'm going to, I'm going to listen back to how yeah. I did that and uh, consider how I do, do that sort of critique in the future. Because if somebody's identifying with this character because they see themselves in it, I, you know, I want to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we were making some assumptions about how Scott Menville was performing it or was instructed or directed to perform yeah. it um, without thinking about like, maybe why or what they were trying to do. And part of that, you know, could also just be that we haven't seen enough of it to have necessarily come to those conclusions on our own or just wouldn't have without having someone, you know, <laughs> t- tell us yeah. about their experiences with it, you know, um, which is why we love having comments like that yeah. because that kind of representation is really important. And it isn't something that either of us are necessarily going to uh, notice if, if it's happening, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it makes me more interested to learn about, like, what their vision for the character was. You know, you and I have been have been sort of trekking through this mostly blind uh, out of excitement for <laughs> for an unfamiliar territory. Um, but I am very curious to look more into what their vision for the character is, probably a little bit further in the future, because uh, I do mm-hmm. want to be surprised by some things I think that we'll still end up being surprised by. But uh, I don't know. Like, I just it, it, it provides a. It just provides a way of looking at it that I hadn't considered. So it makes me more excited yeah. for the character, to be sure. I mean, I'm always excited about an auto, um, and that's why I always have so many thoughts. But uh, so incredible. Yeah. I, I'm and I'm I, I I'm so like I said, I'm so thankful Lillian reached out. I would love for anybody to reach out when they sort of see something we don't. That's why we ask for it, you know, because then we yeah. can kind of see it in a new way. Um, it's one of the reasons Derek and I like talking about this stuff because even the two of us bring things to the table the other's not considering but obviously we're just two people um, and you're a whole listener base so you've got even more to say than we ever could yep yep definitely I don't really have any preamble for this episode this is just uh, you know I really don't I was like how am I going to transition you know and have a little precursor before we talk about the episode I don't have anything I don't have any it's just an episode Uh, I guess that's not really that surprising for a show that's you know I mean it's it's current, but what we're talking about is still only a few years old, so it's not like anybody's doing massive retrospectives on it or anything. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I just have have got nothing uh, <laughs> information-wise or opinion-wise. Let's just dive into it, I guess, guys. Let's I do it. I think it's appropriate for this one. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. So this is Spider-Man 2017, Season 1, Episode 3, entitled Osborne Academy. The synopsis per IMDb is... Norman Osborn creates the Osborn Academy to save his son, Harry, from embarrassment after being suspended from Horizon High. These synopses are so fun because they're always, like, the thing that happens in, like, the teaser or the first act and not actually, like, the bulk of the episode at I kind of like that, though. I do, too. Like, I, it's kind of refreshing because I feel like... When you're describing an episode to somebody, you want the journey to still be there. And I feel like these synopses for for 2017 kind of have the same mentality. Like it's comical because they only scratch the very, very, very surface of it. But then if you were to sit there and say like, oh, this is the one where we like are introduced to Osborne Academy, everything else would be a surprise. (laughs) That's true. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's more like a premise than it is like a full-blown synopsis. 
Yeah, which, yeah, it works. I mean, it's the kind of synopsis that you would see just, like, on a streaming service or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, <laughs> it works. It works. Because um, there's, like, three, sort of, kind of three, you know, comic book villains in this episode that aren't mentioned. So, that's mm-hmm. fun. Big surprises, <laughs> I guess. The original air date for this episode is August 26, 2017. It was written by the uh, story editor Kevin Shinnick, and it was directed by Sol Choi, who directed the Marvel Rising Heart of Iron and Playing with Fire specials, and was also in the art and or the animation department, depending on the project, for Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Legend of Korra, and Ben 10 Omniverse. Interesting. That took a a fun turn at the end of that list there <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> not that the other stuff isn't fun but it was all marvel st- and disney stuff you standard know? <laughs> stuff that you expect for, yeah. for like, directors of this kind of show so it's like oh worked on cora that's cool that's a good pedigree yeah. so nice. all action stuff so it makes sense mm-hmm. well actor wise character wise we've got uh, a bit of stuff here we we are introduced to some characters who might only be in this episode but probably aren't Uh, We're introduced to characters that will definitely be in future episodes, um, but we're still in the phase of this show early on where they're introducing lots of folks. So got about, I don't know, a handful here. Norman Osborn is introduced in this one, and he is voiced by Josh Keaton. We've talked about Josh Keaton. (laughs) We've talked a lot about Josh Keaton because Josh Keaton is the spectacular Spider-Man himself in the spectacular Spider-Man. So we're familiar with this guy. We first talked about him in Walloping Web Snappers number 12. Obviously, when we started talking about the spectacular Spider-Man. What a wild casting for this. What a story arc. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you went from like teenage 16-year-old Peter Parker to Norman Osborn. Uh Uh-huh. I love (laughs) it. Wild, too, because, you know, when you know it's him, I think you can sort of hear that it's him in the voice a little bit, but it still, like, doesn't. Like, if if you were to have me ever guess who was voicing Norman Osborn in this show, even after I watched a whole episode with him, I would have never guessed it was Josh Keaton. Nope. And it's not like it's not like his um his Peter Parker voice was radically different from his natural speaking voice. Like I listened to some interviews with him just to like refresh my memory on what he sounds like, and he just sounds like a kind of like slightly deeper Peter Parker. This Norman Osborn voice is a voice that he's putting on, but yeah. it doesn't sound like somebody putting on a voice like it sounds like a natural voice i love those things though because it just really highlights exactly how talented these people are and really points out not anybody could be a voice actor like they're doing work (laughs) you know what i mean so i love finding those types of things out and being surprised like that yeah i love it good job great performance would have never guessed it was you good (laughs) (laughs) to be to be peter parker and norman osborne i love it i love love it it. it's great it's great (laughs) it's it's wonderful We are also introduced to Herman Schultz and Clayton Cole in this episode. I'm assuming we'll see them again at some point based on who we know they probably will be eventually. I would put more money on one than the other, but I don't really know because they get kind of what could be a full story here if the show really didn't want to explore them further. So uh, Herman Schultz and Clayton Cole. Uh, Herman Schultz is voiced by the late Cameron Boyce. Cameron is known for starring and co-starring in many, many, many Disney properties like his his credits are almost all Disney Channel uh, and Disney related stuff. He is probably most known in that sphere for playing Carlos Deville, son of Cruella, in the Descendants trilogy. He also voiced Carlos in the animated series Descendants Wicked World and all sorts of other things where he was portraying that character or himself because he portrayed that character. 
He also was Luke Ross in nearly 100 episodes of Jesse, which was another big Disney Channel show. And it's a role that he voiced in one episode of The Ultimate Spider-Man. Because for some reason, the Ross family from the show Jesse has like a cameo or something in Ultimate Spider-Man. So I don't know. Funny. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I double checking that was very weird because I was like, what are the odds that he played the exact same or a character with the exact same name? But it's not that. It's literally the that character. So <laughs> can't wait to find out how that happens. He's also the voice of Jake in Jake and the Neverland Pirates, the cartoon. And he held the lead role of Connor in the show Gamer's Guide to Pretty Much Everything. So Cameron Boyce is like all over Disney Channel. If you watch Disney Channel at all in like the past decade, like you know who this this guy is. He also portrayed Adam Sandler's son Keithy in Grown Ups, which is notable because Najee Jeter, the voice of Miles Morales, also played one of the kids in Grown Ups. Fun. Yeah. Clayton Cole is voiced by Yuri Lowenthal, who we are familiar with, uh, not necessarily from cartoons, but from the PlayStation game, Spider-Man. I mean, he does he does cartoons and stuff too, but I don't know if we've covered any of them yet, or at least covered him in any of them yet. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're familiar with Yuri Lowenthal as the voice of Peter Parker uh, and obviously Spider-Man in the PlayStation Spider-Man games, but he's also voiced Spider-Man in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, the amazing Spider-Man's 1 and 2 video games, the Spider-Man Unlimited Mobile Runner game, and a number of Marvel pinball games. Huh. Uh, so many appearances as Spider-Man, which I did not even realize. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he also voiced Nightcrawler in Spider-Man Web of Shadows, which is just like a funny detour in the long list of spider-man games that he was in as (laughs) spider-man he's super prolific so it's not a surprise that there's like this big long list he has over 700 voice credits there's no way that we won't leave out somebody's favorite lowenthal character so here's just a few huge ones he's sasuke in the english dubs of naruto and its various iterations he's one of the two actors the other being tara strong to voice ben tennyson and he's the voice of alucard in a number of castlevania properties including the 2017 television series on Netflix. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea he was any of those things, to be honest. No. I, <laughs> I knew that he was and he was in some of the Ben 10 shows, but other than that, I didn't realize. And I, I also knew that he was prolific, but if you asked me to name who he's played outside of Spider-Man, I wouldn't have known. So. <laughs> it's funny. The Ben Tennyson thing is funny because... If you had asked me who voiced Ben Tennyson, I would have said Tara Strong, but I would have hit a wall if you had said like, yeah, but when he's a teenager, who is it? Because I probably still would have been like, Tara Strong? (laughs) (laughs) Not because I watch those shows and think it's Tara Strong, but because I felt like she's, she's like, I mean, she's famous for a lot of things, but I think she is also famously the voice of Ben Tennyson. And I just never thought of anybody else doing that despite him being a teenager (laughs) in other other iterations so it makes Mm -hmm. sense but i just never realized Uh uh-huh we are also introduced to the jackal in the form of the jackal right off the bat and he is voiced by john dimaggio who we've talked about a number of times sometimes just because even when he's not in the show we're talking about oh Um, yes (laughs) because we're fans john dimaggio has an incredible voice we first talked about him as sandman in our episode 14 when we talked about this spectacular episode competition he's also super prolific you almost certainly know his voice probably either as bender from futurama or jake the dog from adventure time but if not one of those two certainly from something he's also aquaman and some stuff um he's all over the place he's just he's he's very very prolific and has a very distinct voice yeah i like him in this show because it's a lot it's a different performance than 
what I've heard of him before. Like, to the point that at first I did question, like, you can tell that it's John DiMaggio because he always sounds like him. But even at first, like, more than normal with most things that he's in, I was sort of questioning. I'm like, that sounds like him, but I'm not sure if that is him or not. It's like a much more subdued performance than that he normally gives in most things. And it's, yeah. it's really good. I think we'll explore that further for sure. <laughs> but I definitely could tell it was John DiMaggio in this episode, which hints that we'll talk about John DiMaggio again. At some sure. Point. Sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> Gwen Stacy here is voiced by Laura Bailey. Uh, she has a few massive recent credits. She was Abby in the last of us part two. Oh, yes. She was black widow in Marvel's Avengers, the video game. She was Kate Diaz in Gears 5, Gears of War 5, and she was Mary Jane Watson in Spider-Man PS4. So, like, massive, massive video game credits lately. Yeah. She also voices Black Widow in a bunch of things, like, almost everything recently. So, she voices Black Widow in Ultimate Spider-Man, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, Avengers Assemble. So, we'll probably see her again at some point in this series, I imagine, under a Black Widow credit. Probably. Oh, maybe. Uh, Marvel Future Avengers, Marvel Powers United VR, Marvel vs. Capcom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like any video game, many shows that have come out in the past, uh, you don't know, decade is probably Laura Bailey. She's also a main cast member on Critical Role, which is DM'd by the English voice of Iron Man in Marvel Disc Wars, Matthew Mercer. Hmm. Still haven't seen any of it, <laughs> which I think I said when we talked about Matthew Mercer. Yep. But uh, maybe either. eventually. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting to the point where like i'm recognizing the cast members from other things so who knows maybe eventually i'll check it out for that reason yeah. alone uh laura bailey also has a ton of other credits so here's a few more she's the voice of lucina in the fire emblem and super smash brothers series she voices lust in both versions of full metal alchemist and shin in the funimation dub specifically of shin chan cool she's yeah. good She's always She's good in everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like her in a lot of stuff. Yep. <laughs> I feel like she is, I mean, she already is a big deal, but I feel like she's the type of person where, like, in 20 years, you're going to be like, ah, yes, Laura Bailey, the person who has 100 iconic roles and 1,000 voice credits. Yep. Like, I oh, just feel absolutely. like that's going to be her. She's, like, already <laughs> almost there, it feels like. Right? So, like, <laughs> yeah. She's one of those people that if you went to a con, you like, the people in line would be so all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the coolest of ways, you know? Yeah, it's one of those people where it seems like it in gaming especially it's just sort of like oh do we have like uh, like a uh, like a, a main female character i don't know just get laura bailey to do it she's good at everything else like why not <laughs> right yeah why not get somebody top notch you know we get a couple characters introduced here that we're not going to talk about voice actor wise uh for two different reasons we briefly see john jameson We'll probably talk about John Jameson again, but we probably won't talk about his voice actor because Josh Keaton also voices John Jameson. So unless that changes, you know, that that's what that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we're also introduced to Flash Thompson briefly, uh, but very, very briefly. So if he shows up again, then we'll talk more about Flash Thompson sure. and, and his voice actor. Sure. All right. Well, with that, I think we've covered the business. Yeah. Let's do Let's it. Let's get to the episode. So. The episode opens with Spider-Man attempting to explain to Harry why he's late to the opening of Osborne Academy. And I believe his excuse is basically downtown is all jammed up right now. (laughs) And that's because Spider-Man is chasing the Jackal through downtown. So Harry asks about the Jackal and what that's all about. And Peter basically explains to him that the Jackal stole some Stark tech. And that's why everybody's so freaked out about the Jackal running around the city. So Harry insists that Peter hurry 
and Spider-Man hangs up and joins a group of police cruisers and helicopters as they also chase the Jackal throughout the city. Yes, I just have to point out that I like, I also find ridiculous, Harry's insistence that what could be more important than my dad's unveiling of the Osborne Academy for geniuses? I don't know, literally almost everything. (laughs) Everything that has ever (laughs) happened in the history of the world. (laughs) Okay, Harry. Cool, dude. (laughs) Also, did, I don't know if, uh... I don't, this happens either here or like right in right after this. It's during this this longer action sequence. But doesn't Peter just like completely lose his phone at one point? Like it shows him dropping it, and it doesn't look like he ever like webs it up or gets it again, which um, um, feels like a big deal. But then I'm pretty sure you see him on his phone later on. So like, <laughs> I well, I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. So. We didn't really have much of a preamble to this episode, but I will say now that we are beyond the two part pilot. I think we're, I mean, it makes sense that we're going to get episodes that feel a bit more standard to the series overall mm-hmm. when they're not like event episodes or something. And I do feel like as we get into the next couple episodes, I'm starting to pick up on some patterns of things that like I really, really like. And then some patterns of things I don't like. Sure. And one of those things I don't like is that there are certain weird like momentary continuity things or like threads that are begun to weave but then never actually go anywhere so all of that to say i would not at all be surprised if spider-man drops his phone and we never see him retrieve it and then he's just on his phone again (laughs) yeah i mean because i think that that would be i guess i was sort of like oh that's he's either gonna like web it up and catch it or that's gonna be another parker let kind of thing and then someone can't get in touch with him because it doesn't have his phone and he has to make up an excuse for it and then has to worry about paying for a new phone like easy drama and it's just weird that it's never addressed again and then it's like well why did you have him conspicuously drop his phone then that's that seems like a missed opportunity that you could have just done without it's exactly those types of questions which we'll we'll encounter over the course of these episodes. And we actually have kind of encountered a little bit before the sort of like, why did you make this a thing in this moment if it wasn't really going to go anywhere? Yeah. Kind of like uh, when they were like, all right, now let's head on to clean the lab. And then they like don't even go to the lab. And you're like, I get it kind of, but also, I don't know, you like introduced a concept that wasn't important. <laughs> it feels like I do – This is and, and, uh, I'm not going to pretend to be like – an expert on this stuff for anything. This is totally just like conjecture on my end, just just theorizing, but having dived into like the credits of Kevin Shinnick as the head writer who has written all of these episodes so far and granted they are in a writer's room. So there's going to be multiple people involved, but of course, since he is the credited writer for it and the story editor heading up the show, most of his credits notably are on like comedies. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And often just sort of like sketch comedies or like, you know, wild wacky comedies. So I do think that it is, it is a different pivot to be writing like just a streamlined action drama show, even if it's like a lighthearted show or also pretty comedic, it's still like being action driven and story driven and character driven is very different from being comedy driven. And I do wonder if maybe we're seeing like, a writer who's sort of like new to writing in this field professionally, like kind of struggle with, with tightening the screws on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's something worth tracking. Cause like, as I was watching this episode and we'll talk about it a little bit next week, that episode, I was picking up on that type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some of these sort of open-ended moments, not even necessarily plot points, but just like, intro- like I said, introducing something and then not following up on it. And it feels weird because you've specifically introduced it, kind of like him dropping his phone. Why have him drop his phone? 
if nothing's going to happen with it. Yeah. It's never a huge deal, or at least it hasn't been so far. It just ends up creating like weird sort of like uh, double double take moments where you're like rewind to be like, wait, did I miss something? Yeah, because, you know. At the, least for the, me. No, I fully agree because, you know, the, 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 the actual main story beats of the episode and plot beats of the episodes, these episodes are fine. Totally. Um, it's, it's really just these little moments which feel like if you're writing a comedy, especially a sketch comedy, you can have moments like that that are just kind of nonsense and everything. But in, in a show like this, like, they have to either be very specific jokes that fit into the tone of the show where random, funny, weird things can happen, or they have to, like, actually, you know, matter because stuff matters in a show like this. And it's just, like, it's weird when it's, like, little things that don't matter and you're just questioning why it happened. Well, it has to – there can be things that don't necessarily matter on a grand scheme, but, like, it has to have a beginning yeah. and an end. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. If it's going to drop the phone, what happens? You know, <laughs> like – yeah. Um, like it sounds like it's because the nitpick. joke isn't that he dropped his phone. It doesn't like there is no like. Well, I guess the joke is he dropped his phone, but like I don't know. Like there's it's you there's no payoff to it really. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like it feels like it's it's it's. I know it's like a nitpick, but I do think it, it was an it's an interesting thing, like you said, because it has come up a bit in this show, and it's not even like a criticism that's like a mark against it or whatever, because it's so minor. It is going to be a thing to sort of keep track of to see yeah. if the show improves on it or if that's just a persistent thing that the show does. Yeah, I think it's a potential pattern. I mean, we've talked so much about the phone, but it's I mean, it's obviously more than the phone. Like we're we're this is the first time we're we're talking about like a potential pattern. So yeah, we will see. We'll, we we will see. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, when a couple of helicopters attempt to flank the Jackal, the Jackal attempts to shoot one of them, hitting Spider-Man instead. So as a result of this, Spider-Man falls toward the blades of a nearby helicopter, which I was actually surprised to see because it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in order to save himself from being diced, Spider-Man webs onto the helicopter's tail rotor which I learned about as a result of this episode. <laughs> I did not know what that thing was or what it did. <laughs> um, but uh, basically that's the thing that keeps the the helicopter part from spinning instead of the blades. So it's bad if that thing is jammed up, and it is. So Spider-Man causes the helicopter to plummet, basically, by saving himself on the tail rotor. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also worth pointing out, I liked to see him falling into the helicopter because it was legitimately scary, but I didn't really like the way that it turned into a joke where it was just like hitting his butt repeatedly, like he was on like a very uh, slow fan when he like yeah. tries to save himself. It's sort of like, well, you kind of just cut the tension then. Like, it's fine. It's cute. But it's sort of like you literally just were saying how bad it would be for him to just get chopped into pieces by falling in into the blades now and now it's just like yeah. isn't it funny it hit his butt like well, i don't know <laughs> it kind of ruined it a little bit for me <laughs> i do think the other thing that i'm noticing now that we're into the not pilot episodes right the maybe target audience that coincides with the channel this was aired on clarifies itself a little bit more sure and so i think uh that's probably part of it right i would imagine is like throwing something like that in that's supposed to be sort of funny in a very accessible way. And it is. It's not that it's like not funny. Like I get it. It's cute. Yeah, totally. Like it's just um, – I think it's – I don't have a problem with that kind of humor in the show like this either to appeal to the audience. I think it's more weird 
when it's contrasted with a legitimately high scary stakes. thing that just happened <laughs> and is real yeah it's high that's that's high stakes and it's like related to the high stakes thing that was just happening like if it was a random gag that happened fine here for it not a problem we can always use some comic relief in these action sequences but the fact that it's like following up on a commercial break threatening spider-man being you know cut into pieces by falling into helicopter blades with actually it never mattered in the first place like yeah i don't know it feels that's weird. a problem with a lot of shows is taking advantage of the commercial breaks i don't like it on any show <laughs> yeah yeah the it's 90s like, show did this where it was like spider-man's dead now <laughs> it's like nope no he's fine he's no totally he's completely fine. fine nothing happened to him actually at all <laughs> yeah it's just you know keep keep your comedy but i keep your comedy separate from the high stakes thing. Like don't have it too wrapped up into it. Cause then it sort of ends up feeling like it was all fake out and the tension never should have been there. And then you just feel kind of weird <laughs> Is this where the, uh, this is probably where the opening happened, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's totally why they did it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, isn't oh, this yeah. scary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we've got a helicopter plummeting towards the ground and it's Spider-Man's fault. So Spider-Man is like, Oh no, I must save this helicopter. And he does it with science. Um, which is we know is a theme and will continue to be a theme. <laughs> so he he does this by creating a makeshift pulley on a nearby clock face, like a huge building clock face. But what he fails to do is account for the weight distribution, which he calls out. And as a result, the helicopter ends up crashing into a nearby building. It snaps kind of in half. So like the tail of the helicopter detaches from the the cockpit of the helicopter and it continues to plummet toward the ground. Anyway, down below where this helicopter is plummeting towards a girl falls on the ground and the jackal seemingly saves her by grabbing her and running away. And Spider-Man's like, that's weird that the jackal would save this girl, but okay, I'm not going to complain about it. (laughs) And then he, you know, goes back to trying to save the helicopter. Yeah, so Spidey is able to stop the helicopter before it hits the ground. But he quickly realizes, oh, wait, the Jackal wasn't saving the girl. He was actually taking her hostage. Um, cause, ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, well, that explains that, I guess. Because he sees, you know, the Jackal literally climbing a building with the girl in his arms struggling. Mm-hmm. She does manage to free herself from the Jackal's grip as he's climbing the side of the building. But as a result, you know, she's gonna fall because she's on the side of a building so <laughs> spidey swoops in to save her and then when they're on the ground she's like hey you know you could have used like cool science better to <laughs> save the helicopter and also prevent all of this like catastrophic damage that you caused as well yep so smart blonde girl who's interacting with spider-man voiced by a famous voice actress wonder who, who she happens be. to be wearing pink and teal <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> who could she be? <laughs> Wonder who she could be. Also, her suggestion is to create a wind cushion to slow the fall of the helicopter and minimize the impact from its fall. Sure, okay, I don't know if that would work, but whatever you say, smart girl, <laughs> cool. We know who she is, so we have to believe it would work, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I guess it technically works at the end of the episode somehow by its wacky cartoon logic. So <laughs> so that's the thing about these. So one thing that I do like about this show is that it does frequently, not all the time, but frequently carry certain things through the episode at multiple points. It like does. it does that well. And I, I feel like that probably comes as a result in part to Shinnick being a comedy writer because it's almost yeah. like the rule of threes, but carried out in a plot driven way. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Uh, this episode does that for sure. But what's funny is, like, when I first watched this episode, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is science mumbo-jumbo. This is jargon. Don't need to take note of it. Who cares? 
But then it keeps coming up and I'm like, okay, I should make a note of that because <laughs> we can't ignore this. <laughs> yeah. This wind cushion is going to be a big deal. <laughs> and it is. Yep. <laughs> if you it certainly just, will be. <laughs> just, uh, you know, take a few liberties with how physics actually works, I think. But in theory, I guess. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So after their conversation, Peter rushes over to Osborne Academy, which is the most important place you could ever be at in what could be more the important world, as as Harry uh, as Harry specified. But of course, he realizes he actually missed the opening ceremony entirely. To which Peter says, "Drat," because that's the kind <laughs> of kid that Peter is. Is the kind of sixteen year old in the year twenty seventeen that says "Drat." It would be weird if literally any other character said it, but I buy it from Peter. Yeah, yeah. Like, Especially wow. given the way he interacts with other kids his age. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he he finds Harry, apologizes to him, but um, Harry is just like, I mean, he is a precious ray of light, but to a ridiculous extent because he is way too understanding and is just like, that's fine. You missed the thing that I told you was the most important thing in the world to me, but it's fine. I'll show you around. Everything's great. We're best friends. You know what's interesting, too, in this moment? I believe this is where Peter begins to explain what happened, and Harry cuts him off and goes, yeah, I know, you're Peter Parker, which yeah. means even before Peter was Spider-Man, which I think is is a cool detail uh, for this show, and, and the, their specific characterization of Peter Parker, before he was even Spider-Man, he had a reputation for this. So mm-hmm. it's not even just that Spider-Man sort of like is the the complete cause of his sort of like chaoticness. He already was kind of like that. And in this show, Spider-Man just sort of like enhances that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a that's a good thought. Yeah, that that's uh, that's a good detail. And it does. I mean, so at least that kind of justifies how understanding Carrie is because Pete yeah. has a history and he probably was kind of expecting him to be late anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. He's still way too understanding, especially if there's a massive history of this, unless it was like the type of thing where Harry became his best friend despite that. Like if, if Peter's literally always been this way, then it's sort of like Harry has chosen this and like kind of gets it, right? Like yeah. I choose to be Peter's best friend. He's my best friend. So like that's just how he is. <laughs> it could be that. The cynical take could also be that he is just internalizing <laughs> any uh, frustration that he has towards Peter and is constantly just uh, masking it with, like, everything's fine. <laughs> You're great. We're best friends. I don't I, I don't have, like, a frustration bubbling within me at all. Everything's great. Well, um, I think depending I on when they meet, I think they both very easily could be true, right? Like, yeah, sure. as they grow up and as they grow older and as Harry matures and Peter in Harry's eyes doesn't, I think it it could easily transform into what you're talking about and would fit in perfectly for uh, what we know is brewing anyway. <laughs> yeah, especially with we've seen him, Harry has some kind of interesting kind of ragey issues regarding like Spider-Man as a person. Mm-hmm. So like that has to come from somewhere. He's got some, 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 some anger and darkness inside of him, which yep. it's Harry Osborn. What, what, what do you expect? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Harry's showing Peter around and as they're walking around, they are met by Norman Osborn who shares that at Osborn Academy, Harry has been appointed class president. There's no nepotism there. That, that's all fine. Nobody's going to complain about that. <laughs> I was thinking about this and like definitely that. Yes, very that. But they're also still auditioning students, right? So like is this supposed to I'm, – I'm sure it wasn't thought out this much. It's no. 100% just nepotism and that's what it's supposed to be. But I for some reason was still trying to think of the logistics of it. 
I guess, like, if you don't have a student body, there's no one to vote on a class president. <laughs> That's true. So I guess in a way it, like, accidentally makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's the question. Like when when you start a new private school and, and you want to have some kind of student board, so you have your literal first class of students that's ever set foot in that school, how do you do that? Like maybe they, maybe some places do appoint students for right off the bat, you know? I could see I could see it being an application process, but presumably most schools would have their student body before they open, which doesn't seem to be the case with Osborne Academy, which I don't fully understand. Yeah, it's a little weird. But I also I'm willing to chalk it up to what I assume is a similar situation at Horizon High, where the student body is probably to a degree somewhat um, unstable is the wrong word. But I think these types of institutions and, and we'll explore it a little bit, even just in a moment with the sort of like dynamic between the two academies. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're ever going to fully close their doors on somebody who would fit what they're doing. So like, even though horizon high is full essentially, right? Like Peter is like their last student or whatever. I think the whole point of these institutions is like, we find literal freaking genius children and we figure out how to give them the opportunity to like flourish. Right. In theory, at least obviously there's a conversation there, but in theory. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if something like this might open without a full student body anyway. Or just, like, wouldn't ever have a full student body, kind of? Almost like a workplace? Well, that's true. And, you know, it's not like, I mean, at least from what we've seen on Horizon, it's not like they're really following, like, regular school schedule type deal. It's not like students are just going from class to class. Like, they all just have a bunch of independent projects. They just sort of roam around and do what they want and, and then go to classes to present their projects. Like... I guess if you're a school for geniuses that's centered on science and you're not teaching the kids gen ed, maybe, like, I guess it doesn't matter. You can just show up anytime and just start working on your science projects. And there yeah. you go. You're good. Because I imagine, especially considering, I love this because there's, like, we're thinking about this so much more than they probably did. It's fun, We'll though. see. <laughs> but I'm guessing that we're thinking about this way more than they did. But the fact that Miles Morales, Anya Corazon, Harry Osborne, and we will see Gwen Stacy all have like very specific different focuses at Horizon High. I have to imagine it's like that and that there isn't this sort of like standardized curriculum that everybody has to go through at the exact same time. I think yeah. it would be sort of antithetical to what it seems like these institutions are. It's almost like it's kind of like uh, I could be attributing this wrong. So by all means, please at me and correct me if I'm wrong. But it sounds like what I understand a sort of Montessori model to be right where it's like focused Mm. more on the student and their growth as opposed to like a rigid structure that they're supposed to fit into. Yeah. It's like, um, it's almost like the schools are just a way to let students have independent studies and just give them, uh, the equipment and guidance for doing their, their own independent studies the entire time. Yeah. And theoretically they would just be done when they're done or they would just be hired up by a tech company or they would eventually go on to work in a lab somewhere because like, right they are at the level that a doctorate student probably would be. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense that maybe they would constantly be auditioning students. Yeah. And because they're new, that's why Osborne Academy is doing that and Horizon High is not doing that. Yeah. Then I'm like, is it required by law that students have to have taken certain classes to get like, an official <laughs> high school diploma? Or like, can they well, do that and just get their diploma anyway? How in our world, works? yes. <laughs> but in Mar- this is a different universe. That's true. Yeah. yeah so I would think different. If, if something like this were to exist, my guess would be that they would have to take 
or test to the certain level of whatever oh, yeah. the equivalent is that is required for a high school student because you don't even have to like it's not it's not illegal to not graduate high school sure but you do have to complete a certain amount of education if you are if you're within certain circumstances if you're in if, if you're in like certain traditional circumstances like you have guardians and you have a public school system and you have all these things like you are required to go to school so i would guess that you would just have to be able to either provide that for your students or provide the opportunity to prove that they are beyond the level of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Most places have shitty standardized tests anyway. So like they probably would just take that at the end of the year. They would know all the math and English stuff anyway, because they're geniuses and get their diploma fine and nobody cares. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's probably just a specialized. Yeah. It's probably a specialized testing system, but not even that special just to basically say like, we're not going to make you go to high school. Here's your diploma. Carry on. Do your thing. <laughs> right, right. You cool. Know? Okay. Well, hey. <laughs> Same system that allowed Gwen Stacy to get into uh, Brooklyn Visions Academy in a weekend. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> yeah. The show definitely was asking us to think that deeply into it. And we did it. We we did our jobs. Hey, <laughs> welcome to Walloping Web Snappers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, so Norman asked Peter if he's going to apply for Osborne Academy, and Peter declines. He's like, I was just actually accepted into Horizon High, so I have no reason to apply anywhere else. Norman responds that he hopes that Peter won't be suspended for something he didn't do, making very clear his belief that Harry was not at fault for the recent accident at Midtown. Which, you know, is uh, he's not wrong there. Yeah. Um, Peter says that, you know, it's nice for Norman to create a new school for Harry, uh, thinking on very optimistic terms that this is a completely normal, nice dad thing uh, yep. to do. Uh, Norman totally says, normal. <laughs> yeah, very normal. Not, my parents started a school for me when I got suspended. I don't know about y'all. Of course. Yeah. Same. Uh, who, who hasn't that happened to? <laughs> uh, and Norman's like, I would move mountains for my son, which again, just a very different version of Norman. <laughs> like than yeah. we've ever gotten. It's I'm interested. I'm very interested in how that plays out. <laughs> it's going to reveal itself as more than this. I'm so confident. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. I can envision situations where we get a Norman who is more familiar to us, who would still say these things, maybe yeah. not familiar to us in any of the cartoons that we've watched yet, but certainly versions of Norman where, you know, he ends up in very powerful positions. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think we get we get shades of it, I think, in this episode, too, of just yep. like you're being nice. You're you are doing things for Harry, but there definitely feels like there's something a little more and a little darker there <laughs> in, in your intentions. Yeah. Well, there's a public face to what he's doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. he doesn't start an academy and a skyscraper that's one of the tallest in the city with his name on it <laughs> just for his son. Yep. He could homeschool yep. his son. He could. <laughs> yep. Good point. <laughs> this is probably something we don't need to explore for for very long because I think the answer is pretty straightforward. But aside from the fact that Max Modell is the, I guess, headmaster of Horizon High, it would be way more beneficial for Peter to go to Osborne Academy given his very specific anxieties about finances and his guilt around what happened to Harry? Like, <laughs> oh God, yeah, right. Like, like, I'm certain that he would not have to pay for Osborne Academy. I would. There's no way he would pay for it because they were willing to pay for him to go to Horizon, or at least Harry was. Yeah. And on mm. top of that, he feels guilty about taking Harry's spot at Horizon, which would not be a problem if he could go to school alongside Harry at Osborne. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, we know the meta of it that Osborne's of equal bad. So, like, it's like, no, stay away, Peter. But, like, yeah, in-universe, 
actually is almost a little bit weird that he doesn't just like jump at the opportunity to do this. And I think really the best explanation that I could come up with to be in in character for him is that like he is kind of still a pretty naive kid that I could see having like having a pretty naive sense of like loyalty where it's like, I mean, yeah, it would be better for me, but I already said that I would go to Horizon High and that would feel weird to not go to Horizon High when I just said that I was going to Horizon High and I, and, you know, so like just the yeah. idea of, of feel not wanting, like, I, I, I think there's yeah. that and I think they very easily could have and probably are just leaning on the fact that Max Modell is literally his idol. You know True. what I mean? Like yeah. he gets to go to the school and he gets to work for directly with Max Modell, like the Max Modell. And he doesn't you know? want to disappoint him, you know, exactly. his, his new father, his new science father figure. Exactly. So. <laughs> his new science dad. <laughs> his new science dad, yeah. <laughs> Max can be anybody's science dad. He can be my science dad, too. There you go. Well, speaking of Max, Max does join in and uh, retorts to Her- to Norman saying that he'd move mountains for Harry. Max jokes that how moving a mountain would disrupt the organic balance of nature. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Norman responds that actually science should enhance nature. So the two basically just do this awkward, like passive aggressive exchange between oh a scientist God. and a businessman. That's really a, obnoxious. Um, they nail the tension, though. <laughs> oh, they do. No, I don't. I don't mean obnoxious in like <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I know of, of the show. I mean just like if you're there in the room with them, it's just like just kiss, guys. Jeez. They're acting obnoxious, but the tension is real. <laughs> right. Right. The passive, ag- the passive aggression is that. Yeah. Th- it's it, it's palpable. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's so funny. Because it's sort of like, I think we talked about this in the first Horizon High episode, but it's just like Max is such an interesting character because we keep getting introduced to like all these other people from his past, which we have not explored at all yet. And now it's yet another person that seems to like have a past relationship with him that like hates him or at the very least has a very turbulent uh, relationship with him. And obviously there's the whole Harry being suspended thing, but it feels like there's more to it than that. So They're like, clearly familiar with each other. Yeah. So it's like, how many people is Max Modell pissed off well, and what did he do? <laughs> well, what's, I mean, that is the question that I think they're pretty explicitly posing to us. But what's yeah. interesting about it is every one of Max's peers we've met doesn't like him, which if Max were the protagonist of our show would create a really strange situation where either we are then to understand that all of them are villains and Max is just our like very clear hero, black and white type of thing. Or it indicates to us that like, maybe this is a weird sort of like twisted protagonist situation or like almost like unreliable narrator type thing where it's like, we're getting your perspective, but there's obviously a very clear other side to this. Yeah. And it's it's funny because he's not the main character, so they're able to sort of present all of this with most people probably not digging too deeply into that. But like every one of Max's peers hates him. Yeah, and it's weird for someone. <laughs> we don't who's, know why yet. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird for someone who is so overtly likable, like intentionally presented to be an extremely likable teddy bear kind of person by so our protagonist's like, perspective. So you end up exactly. having like. We're seeing it through Peter's eyes. We are meant to admire the people Peter admires, and that's Max. But yeah. then everybody else hates Max. 
<laughs> right. And this might be thinking a little bit too deeply into it, but the meta of it, too, if you're familiar with Spider-Man history, so many of Spider-Man's or Peter Parker's, like, father figures turn into supervillains at some point. So, like, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do with Max. I feel like that's not the direction they're going to take him in. But there is always that tension of being like, this is someone that Peter looks up to and you don't want to see letting Peter down. And the fact that they're setting him up having some kind of not great history in some way is sort of like, oh, God, I hope you're not going to disappoint Peter by well, actually having done something shitty. And, and I fully I, I fully do not know where the Horizon Lab story stuff goes because I haven't gotten very far in it. Sure. But like what I will point out is that the Horizon Labs story came from Dan Slott being like, what if everything went right? So like you're right. Typically his mentors end up betraying him or end up disappointing him or something like that. But in this case, it almost feels like Max, even though he is a mentor is more like a loved one. And if you think of the things that happens to the folks, Peter loves, as opposed to considering a mentor, I think it poses a very important (laughs) question of like, what, what is going on with Max or what already happened with Max, you know? So I don't know, but it's interesting because there's so many different directions it could go in because Max feels like a new type of character for us based on what we've consumed. He's, he's a mentor, but he's a mentor in a circumstance where we are supposed to believe everything's kind of going in Peter's direction on a grand scale, if not in an everyday scale. Yeah. Until they (laughs) throw him off a bridge or something. He (laughs) did plummet through the sky three times in the first episode of this show. True. True. <laughs> or the second episode of the sec, first episode of the show. First episode. Uh, well, the first real episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, Pilot part confusing. one. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I like Max. That's right. He's already been presented as the damsel in distress, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Wait. Max. I like whatever. I don't under. I don't know what they're doing with him yet, but I like whatever it is that they're leading. I like, I like how they're setting stuff up for him because, I don't, you know, it it could be something that's that's pretty that's pretty benign, or it could be something like pretty earth shattering that happens later yep. on based on his history. And I like that I don't really don't know that. Yep. And that's really fun. It's convinced me this show, and I don't even know this show could be doing something totally different to the comics. But like the way that the show is presenting Max has convinced me not to keep reading much further into the Horizon Lab stuff because I'm worried that it will do the same thing and then I'll know yeah. before we get to it in the show and it won't be like a moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, which is fun, you know, because <laughs> it's kind of rare watching a Spider-Man show with a comics character and just having no clue right. what's going to happen with them. Not you know? having like a mainstream understanding or like eight different variants of that understanding. Yeah. Like we have no understanding. Yeah, it's not like there's something that's a basis <laughs> that I'm curious if they're going to subvert it or not. It's like right. I don't even know what the basis was other than that yeah. he existed in some recent-ish comics. He might have just like stopped appearing and never had an arc. I don't know. I, I don't no know. No idea. With him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people could have just hated him and they just phased him out. No idea. <laughs> How could you hate Max? model i know well you know well this version i don't know maybe the comics version is a piece of shit i don't know anything no, 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 that's no, no. what's fun <laughs> i was being more cynical about it in the fact that he's like a gay character introduced into the you know sphere of peter parker yeah, <laughs> which true. we wouldn't hate but shitty people might hate <laughs> mm-hmm. well they suck uh anyway they're wrong they're wrong so. they're subjectively wrong <laughs> yeah but anyway anyway this all spawned from from Max and, and Norman just having their passive aggressive little thing happening, and uh, the entire group just kind of moves on to observe students' application interviews. They're in uh, there; it's through a two way mirror or 
one-way no, yeah two-way mirror i had to think about that for a second <laughs> through a two-way mirror they're basically like peter norman max and, and harry um and whatever other scientists are there are are kind of watching these interviews happen from behind the mirror and some students oddly enough yeah like people yeah. who attended the opening were clearly invited to like observe or at least harry's friends were which feels really weird. I guess it's the Harry's friends thing. That's the nepotism at work. It's like Harry can do whatever he wants, bring whatever whoever friends he wants with him, I guess. Sure. But yeah, so as they walk to the application interviews, the girl from before joins them. And Miles, who is also there, introduces her as Gwen Stacy. What? Who what knew? What a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> So we get this funny little like montage kind of montage isn't totally accurate, but it's kind of structured the same way from inside the interview room where we see a bunch of bits of interviews take place. So here's who we meet through the interviews. We get John Jameson in a, in a totally sincere interview, which is pretty cool, explaining that he studies astrophysics and that two of his ideas have already been adopted by the space agency. So John Jameson genuinely, sincerely applying to go to Osborne Academy Cool to see this, too, because it presents John Jameson, unsurprisingly, as we have talked about before, as a genius, kind of akin to the other students at these academies, mm. but for astrophysics, which is cool. Yeah. We see Alistair Smythe uh, applying, <laughs> saying that he has genes for success. Cool. Nerd. Cool, man. Sweet. Which is just perfectly in line with everything we super love about you and your dad. <laughs> we meet Flash Thompson applying for Osborne Academy, and he says that his genes are denim, which for you. exists solely for the joke. Yep. I honestly don't know if we're ever going to see Flash again. I don't know. I I would assume so somehow, mm-hmm. but I could also see him not ever showing up again in this show based on the setting and the already very large cast. We shall see. Anya ends up interviewing, which confuses the interviewees because they're like, don't you already go to Horizon? And her response is, I'm just covering my bases, <laughs> which feels in like, line like with Anya. <laughs> yeah, you know? I like that. <laughs> go get her. She's counting sure. for everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And finally, we see two kids applying together, and their names are Herman and Clayton, who we talked about at the top of the episode. They say they're best friends and that they work super well together, and each of them has part of their own sort of project to present in this joint interview. So Clayton calls out his chest-worn sonic device as Clash Tech, and Herman calls his vibration-based gauntlets Shockers. I have no idea who these two could be. Well, I... (laughs) Clash Tech and Shockers. Well, I'll be straight up. I didn't know who Clash was before this episode. (laughs) It was like, I recognize Herman, whose name is Herman Schultz. Like, I get, I knew who that was even before he said Shockers. But I was like, Clayton, Clash, who the heck is this guy? I have no idea. I was just like, is that another person who's been Shocker before in the comments or something? (laughs) I didn't know him by name, but I recognized Clash. Cool. I mean, if, 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 uh... If, if his powers are similar and it's like a sonic or sound based power set makes sense to pair him up with shocker. I think that's, that's smart. Yeah. If that's, if that's uh, who he is in the comics, but I don't know, maybe it's somebody completely different. Who knows? I'm never yeah. going to look it up. doesn't matter. <laughs> don't well, at me. I don't want to know. <laughs> this is yeah. This is where full disclosure. This is where the episode like started to get like less interesting to me. <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah, I, this is a little bit overall thoughts, but I think 
this episode, because of where this goes, because the rest of the episode largely features Herman and Clayton, which I don't have a problem with. And I, and I don't even think the episode is bad, but I just like the premise of this episode, like I just was not vibing with very much. And so like, I just was like, this is such a weird premise that I just don't think I personally like, which isn't to say it's bad, but it all kind of starts here. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm struggling with this episode because I've now seen it like three times, maybe yep. more just, just because of how we've been watching the show and recording. Yeah. And this is one that I struggled to not be bored at by the section of the episode and then struggle to remember afterwards. The thing is, though, I, I feel like I'm different. I, I feel differently from you because I do actually like the concept of it in that it's like, OK, we're going to take two, you know, comic supervillains. But instead of just doing a supervillain origin story, we're going to have we're going to have to make them two kids that never actually become supervillains. Their whole thing is just like they're driven apart just because of like competition or whatever. And it's like, it's like a play on like realistic stuff of how like, you know, competition like fucks with people and can ruin your friendships if you do competitive or whatever, but just sort of playing that like to the nth degree in the most cartoonish way, which I'm fine with. It's very broad, but I don't mind it. And I like that in concept. So I don't understand why I'm not vibing with it, but I'm not. And I don't know if that's maybe it goes on too long or doesn't feel satisfying by the end. Or maybe it's just not ex- like the action maybe isn't executed well. I'm not sure what it is, but I like the idea. But for some reason, it just didn't work for me. And I honestly don't know why. Well, I like I like I like the idea of translating these two characters into competitive teenagers like that's fine with me especially that they're best friends like that's cool for me maybe it's part of the setting and when i say the premise of it is that like the premise being that these two kids are auditioning for this school and it and it goes the way that it does like that's like that's their vehicle for exploring this yeah and 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 this is i guess this is what happens and then we can sort of dissect it even more so They they introduce their technology. Again, Clayton calls his Clash Tech. Herman calls his Shockers. The two boys successfully demonstrate their devices together. Like, they, they collaborate on their demonstration. And Norman interrupts them to question whether or not the two of them are competitive enough to go to Osborne Academy. And when the two of them are like, huh? He explains that he's impressed with both of them, but he's only going to accept one of them, which results in the two of them turning against, sabotaging, and ultimately physically attacking each other in the interview room. Okay. Yeah. At this point, I'm like, okay, I'm. Uh, this is interesting. You yeah. get like little things here where it's like sort of a shove here, a jab there. Um, and, and you've got the like, okay, go, go for it, kids. I have a huge problem with Norman Osborn, but we're supposed to, right? Yeah. So that's not a problem right. for me and with they the do show. Call it out. You know, they call out that that's right. a bad thing for him to do. And I actually like how, like, I like how quickly it escalates into them just like completely turning on each other. Like it's, it's kind of weird and broad, but like, I like that it just escalates just See, zero to 60. I like that it escalates quickly when it feels like they're having an interpersonal conflict. Mm-hmm. But what happens next is that Herman unleashes like a shocker blast intended for Clayton that ends up in the path of the interviews. So naturally Peter, who's observing this tries to intervene and both he and the interviewers are hit by the blast. They're crashed through the window and they plummet out of the tower. Okay, that's still kind of fine, but then what happens, and we'll get into the beats like we normally do, but ultimately what this turns into is this, like, citywide battle between Herman and Clayton, Mm. (laughs) 
And that for me is where it loses me, where I'm like, okay, I like the fact that you're competitive. I like the fact that you're friends who've been turned against each other. Like, I don't like it, but I appreciate the story and sort of like the complex nature of, of what your relationship has been forced to be. But where it turns into this like citywide battle between these two teenagers, that's where I'm sort of like, this all came from like interviewing at a school. That's true. (laughs) And that is where it starts to lose me a little bit. Not because I think it's bad. Like they cover their bases, right? Like it's like all their plot points are fine. They, they follow one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. It's fine in that regard, but there's something that I'm having a hard time buying into where they're they're auditioning for the school and then they're literally trying to kill each other throughout the city and like flying around the city to do it i get it it's a superhero show but for some reason and i can't fully put my finger on it i just was sort of like that escalated very quickly beyond what i think i was cool with (laughs) yeah i think that i I kept like almost interrupting you like 40 times i'm sorry that's okay Um, i think it sounds like we clearly both have a lot to sort of parse out with this one well, yeah, because I think I was str- – uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, like I said, I've been struggling with this, but I think that helps me understand what my problem with it was. Because, yeah, I like how quickly it escalated at first in within the interview that it goes from them just being like, no, we're best friends. We would never hurt each other. Ow. Hey, did you hit me? No, I didn't. Ow, I hit you. And then it just escalates from there. I think that's, that's cool, great, all, kind of funny too. And also just, you know, they want to have a nice little fun commentary on – the way that like competition can fuck with people. You can draw lines to like how, you know, competitive schools fuck with kids. You can draw lines to like, you know, the workforce and capitalism. If you want to, like you can go way beyond just that little interaction. I think where, where, where it fails, I think is that when it, when it does escalate to becoming a citywide battle, I don't feel like you ever see these two teenage boys who up until this point were just like normal friendly kids who were just extra competitive and science geniuses. They don't show they don't seem to show any like regret or even notice how much damage they're causing around them. And I don't think they do enough. The show does enough work to like make us believe that they are just so involved that they just don't notice how much havoc they're wreaking. So they end up just coming off like two psychopaths, basically. Well, and then at the but then at the end, they're just normal kids again. And it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, okay, but either <laughs> either they're totally fine with just causing this mass destruction and not paying any attention to it, paying no mind to it and showing no regret about it, or they're just caught up in a situation, in which case I think that they would react to like knocking people out of windows and nearly killing a bunch of people. Like and see, they don't at all. See, I don't even know if I think that's the case. Like, I don't know. I don't even know if I would say that this episode is failing to do what it set out to do. I th- And I think that's what the struggle for me is. Like, I think this episode is doing what it wanted to do. And I think that the two teenagers do at certain points throughout their battle sort of get reminded. Herman especially. I think Herman tends to be in these interactions because he's not he's the one who strikes second right he's the one who responds Mm -hmm. clayton is presented as the aggressor and i think there are points where herman is like come on man like what are we doing it's not a lot of it but i think it's a little bit and i think what the show was trying to do was maybe treat this as funnier than it than it kind of is oh maybe in the fact that it's like like i don't know maybe it's supposed to be absurd kind of i mean um and i think they but I don't know. See, that's what's weird about it is like, I don't think this is a bad episode. And I think I would be lying if I said it was or that I felt like it was. I just feel like 
like the story like i think they said i think they told the story they wanted to tell and i just don't think i like it (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know because i think they question what they're doing a couple times okay and i guess i'm just kind of misremembering how often which is bad that i have seen this episode three times and i don't even remember everything that happens in it but, but like that speaks to something yeah like and, and i don't know what it is like i cannot figure out what it is because i feel like it this episode isn't i don't think it's sloppy right i don't know maybe i'm misremembering um, things i don't know i i i feel like this i feel like the herman clayton thing again i think it was a good idea but i don't think they really like fleshed it out as much as it, like i think you either have to go really far in one direction or the other if they wanted it to just be absurd and funny they needed to push that push the boundaries of that and make them more honestly make them more comical characters make them less make them less human almost to to let the absurdity like to amplify the absurdity of it so then i know that it's like this is supposed to be wacky or in the other direction like i don't know let us see a little bit more of them earlier or like get to know their relationship a little bit earlier so then you're at least a little bit emotionally invested when their friendship quickly breaks down. But see, um, that's why I think better. that's why I don't think they failed at what they were trying to do. Cause I don't think we're supposed to be invested in these two characters. Yeah. And I don't think the humor is wacky. Like I think, I think maybe the, the humor is just a joke that I don't think is funny. Like n- and not in like a detrimental way or like this episode is wrong. I think it's just like, sometimes you hear somebody tell a joke and some people laugh and some people don't. I feel like, I think, I think the joke is that Herman and Clayton are these, like, incredibly sweet best friends. Like, I could see them being almost annoying in how much they, like, are BFFs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it annoys, I think it annoys Norman, even, where it's like, okay, we get it. Like, you're best friends. Who cares? And I think that's sort of the thing that peeks through every once in a while, where it's sort of like, it's almost like watching two adorable bunnies viciously fight each other and then every once in a while there's like a peak of the fact that like oh yeah that's right these are two adorable bunnies and i think that's the joke and i i I could see where people would think that's sort of funny but like i just wasn't and and again i don't even know maybe it wasn't even supposed to be funny yeah i don't see but something about it feels very like unsatisfying yeah it feels like it's just sort of like in the middle of everything it like the just a very basic like just nothing about it is once once they're fighting in the city just nothing about it is particularly interesting one way or another i think it's not funny it's not tragic or emotional it's not even really engaging like action wise and it's not even that like it's bad it's just kind of boring right (laughs) right exactly i think that like again like again it's not necessarily bad in the ways that we would normally call something out for being bad right like that's what i mean when i say like i think they did what they intended to do i just think like maybe there was more focus on something boring because herman and clayton they're like vehicles for the rest of the episode that's true you know what i mean and i don't know if maybe we're just like maybe it's just sort of like it could have been cool so we want it to be cool but like they're really they're really just like moving other things along and yeah i mean like i think you're right in that like you could have made us care you could have made us really in- engaged and invested in these characters i don't think they wanted us to be which is why i don't think they fail in that yeah but then true. at the same time like i also don't know how you do this episode better by removing the pieces of the plot that herman and clayton are involved in do you know what i mean like herman and clayton mm-hmm. feel integral to the plot of this episode and yet they're kind of boring <laughs> 
I think maybe it would have helped if they just minimized their screen time a little bit, honestly, because they are spent to be vehicles. And I think sort of the stuff that they propel causes maybe some interesting stuff or at least set, sets up some interesting stuff to happen around them. So if they just sort of like I, – I, I know part of the part of my complaint was that like they could have fleshed them out more. But if they just went in the opposite direction and just kind of minimized their screen time a lot yeah. so they just had like one pretty simple action sequence in the middle and then, you know, Jackal steals their tech. Spoiler. And then that becomes, you know, the the climax. So it's just sort of a transition into like the final battle. I think that that would have been better because I think the problem, yeah, it isn't – the actual events. It isn't the actual characters. It's just like we see a lot of them and not much is about it is very interesting. And but care about it and it's boring. But here's the thing. And this is why I think it keeps getting complicated for me. If you did that, there's a big moral to this episode that would be harder to focus on if Herman and Clayton were sort of like backburnered. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. It feels like a tower that is ugly and you can't really fix it because if you change one piece, the whole thing falls down. Like, it's, it's so really weird. weird. It's a really bizarre episode for me. It's yeah. almost like it's almost huh. like an episode I want to like more, yeah, but don't feel like they failed at what they were doing, which is a weird place to be in. <laughs> I agree because it's. I, I think I just really I'm kind of enamored with the concept of it and yeah. sort of doing like super villains without really super villains. Like it's not a, it's not at all a super villain origin. Yeah, I dig story. that. Um, I think that that's really clever and a clever way to use your you know schools of science geniuses. Like if we do if there's if there's episodes if there's other episodes that are sort of following along that idea where it's like not every supervillain is a, is a cackling evil supervillain right. or some of the tragic backstory. Sometimes it is just a kid a, a super kid, kid genius who made a mistake. Like I'm I'm fine with that. I think that's a very different kind of direction for for a, for a Spider-Man show to take. And I mean, I think you could do creative things with it, but... And it supports that's... the thesis that we've been presented with through the pilot. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, these characters fit so perfectly into... We're getting so analytical about an episode we haven't even, like, talked about yet. But, like, it, it fits so perfectly into the idea that people who haven't found themselves or who don't know where their talents lie or don't know what their actual gift is take things out the wrong way. That's exactly what Herman and Clayton do. So it like feels perfectly in line with what the show is trying to do. Like it's, it's so weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. <sighs> weird episode. So that's why I think it's like not a bad episode <laughs> in the big grand scheme of things, but it's also like not a very, I don't know. I don't really know what my full assessment is. I guess I'll just have to sit on it. But I I've just been sitting know, on it for weeks, so I just I know, know I've seen it multiple times, and I was bored every time, and I trouble exactly. remembering what happened every time. Which is and weird, despite liking the episode in concept and like in gen- like liking or liking the concept of the and episode. thematically, I like it thematically. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, same, it's so yeah, weird. Yeah. I don't know. Very weird. Okay, well, really and weird. I think it does clever things, so we probably should actually get to those clever things. But yeah, so yeah, that, <laughs> clearly we were bursting at the seams to talk about Herman and Clayton, which I think makes sense because they are front and center, whether they should be or not. Yeah. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our Spectacular Enough patrons, Katie, Joe, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lillian. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. 
Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Okay, okay, so... We covered the fact that they attack each other. We covered the fact that uh, the interviewers are blasted through the window. And where are we? At? Okay, so the the interviewers are, through, are are falling from the tower. Peter is falling from the tower. And as this is happening, Peter's like, "Well, I got to do something." So he he manages to to like land a web parachute. Love it on each of the interviewers, which saves them. And then he has the opportunity to sort of swing away. They fell before him because he was in front of them. So this is kind of explaining how nobody notices what he's doing, I guess. And like no one's looking at him because he's fallen out of the tower. So he ends up suiting up. He goes back up into the tower and he confronts Herman and Clayton. When a member of the staff notices that like a fire has broken out as a result of Herman and Clayton's fights, he activates the fire alarm. And Clayton and Spider-Man realize that if this sound is going off, Clayton can take advantage of that and power up his sonic attacks. Because what they sort of establish is that both of these pieces of technology, they don't generate necessarily what they're outputting. They take advantage of what's already there. So if there is no sound, Clayton cannot use his tech. If there are no vibrations to harness, Herman can't use his tech. So sure. Spider-Man's like, hey, don't do that. Don't don't turn that alarm on. But it's too late. Yeah. Uh, sorry, this is random. One of the scientists, or I guess they're find out in the next episode that it's a teacher that's there, is a dude that looks like Ben Franklin, kind of. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like, bald, like, bald at the top, but, like, very long, flowing gray hair and a very, like, round face. It's very weird. I think in the next episode he's actually named Mr. Slot or Dr. Slot, like after Dan Slot, which is it's weird. I don't really <laughs> Well, they can't be the same person unless that person works for both Horizon High and Osborne Academy. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't think about Mr. that. Mr. Slot works at Horizon. Yeah, unless he like was like fuck <laughs> this and quit and got a job at Horizon That'd be or cool. has a twin brother. <laughs> both working at both schools or clones, slot clones. Oh I shit. Don't know. <laughs> ben Franklin slot clones. <laughs> I mean, if we're being like real, real, they just reuse models a lot in, in these shows. <laughs> very weird, noticeable model, like your Ben Franklin scientist dude. I know. Weird that you drew him in the first place, but I'm, you know, there are people who exist that look like that, so it's fine. <laughs> but like, they don't use them more than once because it's 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 noticeable. <laughs> they do that at another point. I know I didn't take note of it, but now that you've brought it up, like there are definitely other folks I've noticed where I'm like. I've seen you before. It's kind of like the Stegosaurus haired kid, right? Yeah. It's like, we know what you're doing. (laughs) You just have (laughs) models that you're ready to like copy and paste into here. Yep. 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 Not actually how it works. I'm not trying to diminish animation. It's hard. (laughs) Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I I get that. It's yeah, it happens. It happens. So uh, like, like you said earlier, it's not like they're they're total psychopaths because Herman is kind of trying to appeal to Clayton. Um, but Clayton just kind of ignores him and unleashes a sound bomb 
Yikes. Uh, in anticipation, Spider-Man turns to Gwen and he's like, hey, I'm going to save him from this inevitable fall by doing some cool science. You know, that wind cushion you told me about? And she's like, or you could just make a net. She's <laughs> 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 um, like, oh, OK, I guess so. So he makes a net um, and saves everybody from Clayton's blast before they can be launched out of the window. So nobody falls. Yes. Gwen, right again. Uh-huh. And the rule of three is at number two. So yep. get ready to hear about the wind cushion one more time. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so Herman and Clayton decide that Spider-Man must also be interviewing for Osborne Academy. That's the only reason he would intervene. Sure. And they agree that they need to find a bigger arena to show off their tech. Because if Spider-Man is there, then their demonstration needs to be bigger. Again, this sort of loses me a little bit because like Norman's not following you, bro. Anyway, they both jump out of the hole in the wall, out of the out of the building, and demonstrate that they can fly with their tech, which again okay. feels a little out of scale for me, which is part of part of what I struggled with. But Spider-Man shouts after them like, "Idiots, I'm not auditioning. Like, why would you even think I'm a student?" And Norman hears this and is like, "Well, good, cuz so far I'm not impressed with anything you're doing." God, Norman's such an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Norman sucks. <laughs> Love it, though. Love it. He should. He In a good way. Suck. Yeah. Yeah. In a way I can appreciate. Yeah. So, yeah, Herman and Clayton continue to attack each other outside, uh, wreaking havoc in their wake. And Harry is nearly hurt during their battle. Spider-Man swings in to save him. Harry, of course, as we know, just fully hates Spider-Man at this point. Uh, he recoils from his help and demands that Spidey help him find Peter, um, who he's like, he should be nearby, but he isn't. So I need to, I, even though you said you saved him. So where is he? Um, and Spidey's like, uh, sorry, can't help you. And whips away to stop Herman and Clayton, which of course, Harry feels like that Spider-Man just abandoned him, just completely fuels his fire against him. I do like the moment where he's like, well, he's not around here. So where is he? <laughs> yeah. You're going to help me find him. Like, I, I dig that. Yeah. I like, you know, he's he's got his rage issues clearly. But like, I like that, like, they're all directed and dedicated to loving Peter as mm -hmm. a friend. Like, it's really nice. He's just like, no, I need you to tell me where my best friend is. I care about him and I'm worried about him. Yeah. Like, that's where it's all spawned from, which I think is a really clever thing to do because like, it still makes Harry come out looking like a good guy, even if he's kind of directing his anger in the wrong way, the wrong person, you know? Yeah. Well, and like, it's perfectly in line with the situation. Cause Spider-Man tries being Peter tries to like make an excuse. And Harry's just like, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. bullshitting me. <laughs> yeah. So Herman and Clayton's battle takes them to a construction site where I'm realizing that it's actually fine that we talked as much as we did because the battle is highly consolidated here in our plot point notes. <laughs> so yeah. Herman and Clayton's battle takes him to a construction site where the Jackal, Hey Jackal looks on telling himself, Hey, looks like we're all trying to impress Norman Osborn. Interesting because we didn't know that yet. So now we know that the Jackal for some reason is trying to get Norman Osborn's attention. So yeah. he ends up interrupting the boys fight and he ends up draining the boys devices of their power with the Stark tech that he stole. It's kind of like this, gun looking thing but it, sure. it can suck the power out of these devices for some reason doesn't really matter because what ends up happening is that he uses this to steal their equipment he syncs them up together which i thought was interesting because like that's a pretty technological thing to do to mm -hmm. like reprogram these boys like tech yeah. and then uses it for himself so he, he basically says like okay you got sound shit you got vibration shit i'm gonna use them together 
and presumably they're going to be better that way. And then right as he sort of equips himself with this stuff, Spidey shows up and finds the jackal there. Yeah. I don't think the device thing fully lines up for me when we learn later what jackals like expertise is really in, but it's also comic book stuff where all scientists are smart in all science. So yeah, I'll buy buy it. It doesn't make any, it doesn't really make sense, but well, I think one thing that's important is like this show wants to emphasize the science of things, but as far as I understand, they don't have like a team of consultants to do their science. Right. So like everything just ends up being like general science, you know, a lot of times. Yeah. Um, And I think they're relying at this point on us not, knowing who jackal is even though we probably come in with assumptions yeah so they're just sort of like eh, we'll do this thing and then maybe you'll forget about it by the time you know who he is yeah it's i mean it's also (laughs) a very it's also a very comic booky thing to just be like he's a super smart scientist right that means that he can do literally anything in all fields of science (laughs) yep Uh, so yeah, so Spidey's, Spidey's there now. He and Jack will clash as Herman and Clayton kind of look on from the construction site. And it's like now, you know, now they're really paying attention and trying to help. So each of the boys kind of shouts out, try, uh, telling Spider-Man how to destroy the other's devices. So See, I the, love this part. I do too. Again, it's like interpersonal conflict. It's not like I'm flying around the city trying to punch you with my shocker gauntlet conflict. Yeah, well, I like it because it's like it's it's more friendly prodding at this point because you can tell they're still mad at each other, but they yeah. also recognize the gravity of the situation. So they're sort of like they are helping and trying to do good and like, you know, amend for what they did wrong. But like they still are very furious with each other and have their yeah. little, you know, their hateful spat. So like their helping still is through the lens of like trying to prod at each other and still trying to insult each other and destroy each other's person's like the other person's right. projects. Like, and it carries the same ambiguity as the way the fight started. There's yeah. no way to prove that the reason that they're shouting about each other's things is to like screw the other one over, but you can make the assumption. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind yeah. of like there's no way to prove that Clayton attacked Herman, but you could make the assumption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in that regard, I like it. I think it was really clever. And that yeah. genuinely to me was funny. Yeah. I thought that that was really funny too. I thought that was a nice way to kind of round out their their storyline, even though I wasn't wasn't into it up until that point, really. Yeah. Um, maybe they should have just been angrier. If they were just angrier, maybe I would have bought into it. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, like blinded with rage the yeah. entire time. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there'd be like too much teenage boy rage with Harry screaming too. I don't know. I guess I would have so. been fine with it, I think. Yeah, I don't know. It would. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> well. <laughs> this is going to puzzle me for the rest of time. This episode is going to f- forever be... A weird puzzle. So I shouldn't think about it too much. (laughs) Well, either way, Spidey kind of realizes that he won't be able to get close enough to take their advice because Jackal's constantly shooting out sound waves and stuff. So uh, Spider-Man kind of figures out, though, that he can use a uh, shock-absorbent web suit for himself. Like, he gets this idea from seeing, like, the gloves that uh, the construction workers use with jackhammers. So uh, he's like, okay, I can make make this web suit to withstand the jackal's attacks. So he like actually uses pretty much all of his webbing to make this like marshmallow suit that's like fully padded him out. It looks really really funny and cute, and he uses this suit as an advantage to just get close to uh to to jackal and quickly destroy the clash tech and shocker gauntlet and re- retrieve the stark tech from the jackal. However, to escape, the jackal is like. Okay, fine. I love taking hostages. So he grabs Herman and Clayton <laughs> and just hur- just just hurls them from the construction site, which is like yep. on a building. So just hurls them right off. 
Spidey kind of realizes the challenge of saving them both. And then finally, as has been set up, rule of thirds, third time it's come up, I can use the cool science wind cushion to save them. (laughs) Which... It makes zero sense. He just spins, like, I don't know, a sign or some equipment around very, 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 very quickly, which is enough to generate a fan. Because I guess Spidey is that strong, has enough. They're just falling from such a high height that he has all the time in the world to pick up speed to create an actual, like, fan to cushion their fall. It's a cartoon. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, if we're picking (laughs) apart the physics, yeah, it doesn't make sense. But I like... I like the inspiration for this. It's basically yeah. like going to an indoor skydiving place. Like this is possible. You can create a force yeah. of wind big enough to keep you up. But yeah, I mean. It's a thing that like Superman or the Flash could do. Spider-Man could Like there's no way in any <laughs> universe that this would ever work. But sure, fine, whatever, buddy. It's cute. I think this is way cuter than the marshmallow suit. Oh, really? I, like I love the marshmallow suit. I think what I'm realizing, and this is totally a preference thing. This is not like a like a qualitative sort of like critique or anything like that. I like creative use of web. I think I don't love and will not love if it keeps happening. The constant sort of like huge expulsion of web to create like large objects, like oh, like the big it. ball of police officers, and yeah. then this. I'm like, okay, like it's cute, but like we don't need it every episode. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. I agree with you. I agree with that. We don't need it. It, it. it has been a little bit overused in this show. If this was the last use of it, I wouldn't be mad. But I like it this time. But I feel yeah. It's a cute design. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. It's funny. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm looking at you with squinty eyes here, Spider-Man 2017. Don't make me hate round cute things by doing it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, in any case, yeah, the fan works, but Jackal is able to escape while Spidey's busy with his cool science wind cushion. And, and they, there's a nice bit of, of, of continuity there because they are going to like leave and Herman and Clayton's like, we don't want to be in the sky anymore, so can we not web swing? And Spidey's like, I use up all my webbing anyway, so I guess we got to walk. Yay. Yeah. At least they do that. At least yeah. when he uses so much web, it like has a consequence. I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they return to Osborne Academy, and uh, Spider-Man is actually surprised to find everyone, like, walking around and not webbed up in his net, even though it surely shouldn't have disintegrated by now. And Gwen's like, oh, yeah, it was really simple. We just kind of whipped up a simple chemical compound. I don't really understand how they just did that while they were all webbed up in a net. I guess they gave instructions to other scientists. But to sure, Ben Franklin. Yeah, they gave their instructions to Ben Franklin, <laughs> and uh, he whipped up the chemical compound that that uh, that they came up with. So they kind of have presented so far Gwen as like the top genius among this group. In like a very short period of time, I do feel like yeah, whether this maintains or not, I feel like she's been presented as the quickest, smartest one there. Yeah, or at least like she's a, she's a quick thinker. And she's a very, like, confident, like, leadery kind of person. Yeah. Um, which I like a lot. Yeah, me too. I think that's fun. hmm Yeah. I do wonder, like, what are the ramifications of Gwen Stacy immediately figuring out how to dissolve Spider-Man's web? Probably none, but I would like to see it come up somehow again. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> you have to know what something's made of to do what she did. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we got a whole roster of spider people here, so maybe they'll be independently making their own webs and becoming spider people. Oh my gosh, dude, I can't wait to figure out how they do that. I cannot wait to figure out what the story of 
what now now we've seen four different people on screen who become spider people at some point and i have no idea how so i'm just i cannot wait and we're getting like little little clues and crumbs and stuff Mm -hmm. um and i just can't wait to figure it out well not figure it out they're gonna show me but um, yeah. I can't wait for it. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like so well, I excited. Don't know, I know I know who the first person who gets spider powers is out of this group. I have a but guess, I don't, but I don't know. I, I think I think I know just based on on where I'm at, but I don't know how it happens or what's going to happen or like how you do the show with multiple spider people that still have Peter Parker, your main character. Like, I don't know how they're going to balance that. And they're all I'm, friends. They're like peers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, I would like the idea if, if, go, if it's just like, they just become a team of spider people. I think that could be, that would be very different, you know, from like, we've got, I know that ultimate Spider-Man had like a team, at least in the first season or two, but not yeah, a but team different. of spider people. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. I think that would be kind of fun. And that would sort of match what like the CW, dc shows have done like they start off with one hero and then eventually kind of expand where there's multiple it's it always turns into a team of heroes even if yeah you know one hero is the titular one well Um, and like ultimate plays on what we've talked about before of the sort of like lone spider type thing there's already a team and he's like no thanks everybody you know what i mean i have mm -hmm. to imagine this would be different than that because he's already spider-man and they are not yeah yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, we're jumping way far ahead on that. But yeah, the seeds are I'm always keeping my eye out eye out for seeds of like, oh, is that gonna be something mm-hmm. that comes into play for you becoming a spider person or not? I mean, how does that gonna happen? I don't know. Um so yeah. Good good thought. But yeah, so security kind of shows up to remove the boys from the academy, Herman and Clayton, because obviously they caused a lot of problems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a fair <laughs> thing to do. And Spider Man's like, hey, you should, you know, I, I know that you should reprimand them somehow, but I think keep in mind that they sh- did actually help me stop the Jackal. And I think they deserve some kind of credit or leniency just on those grounds, uh, at least. Um, and Norman steps in. He's like, actually, I'm going to take responsibility for egging them on. No, f- no shit, asshole. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm surprised he put it the way that he did, though. So, like, that was that was interesting. Yeah. Like, no shit, you're responsible. But the fact that he just straight up immediately steps up and is like, it's on me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yes, I didn't expect that. And you don't deserve a cookie for it, for, you know, taking responsibility for that because he did it in the first place. But I mean, you did surprise me by admitting it. So, Mm -hmm. all right. And ultimately, he's like, all right. So I guess, you know, we're, we're cool here. I'm going to accept Herman for his great shocker gauntlets. Clayton, you can apply the following year. Good luck. (laughs) <laughs> honestly so, better news than i would have expected like yeah. clayton you have to wait a year not that bad <laughs> compared to like throwing them in prison which they would have deserved honestly uh-huh <laughs> yeah also not who i was expecting norman to choose based on the the sort of like demeanor of each one of those kids because they yeah. as as little characterization as they get they do have a distinction in that herman seems to be the sweeter of the two and Clayton seems to be a bit more of the the like aggressor between the two. Yeah. Well, Max claims that rightfully so that Norman's application process is unethical. Understatement uh, of the year, first yeah. of all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say so. Like, not only are you making people audition to go to your school and calling it that, but like you're encouraging them to fight each other. And then applauding them when they, like, destroy the city to do it. Like, uh, 
Great googly moogly, how much more of a supervillain at the top of your fucking tower could you be, Norman Osborn? Uh, yep. Max is just like, you know, I agree with pushing the bounds of science, but this might be over the line. <laughs> this shit ain't it, bro. <laughs> Norman doesn't care either. He's just like, eh, you run your school the way you want to, and I'll run mine the way successful people do. Well, damn, son. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we know who this Norman is. Uh huh. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I still can't wait to figure out what their relationship is, but I guess that's the case with literally every adult in the show and Max. <laughs> <sighs> Another set of angry exes, probably. Do you think? I know, right? I mean, hey, that kind of supports my theory that Max was just this sort of like free spirit, and like just left like a whole like slew of like disappointed, enamored dudes in his wake right yeah, like just everybody's just everybody. pining after max because like they had that one incredible night <laughs> yep and then he'd see them he'd see max they'd see max like the immediately like a night or two afterwards with somebody else and it's like mm-hmm. but i thought that i was special i thought i, I was thought... special <laughs> no i thought i thought i could tame the beast except max wouldn't say no he'd be like you are it's just not like that <laughs> <laughs> yep oh man <laughs> So Max and the Horizon High crew leave. Shocking they didn't do this sooner, but I guess they were webbed up. Oh, wait, Max wasn't webbed up, right? So he probably was helping with the uh, the solution. That's true. So, okay, all right, cool. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so they leave. Miles asks Spider-Man about Peter, which I think is, this is the second time now that Miles has been like, hey, what happened to Peter? I think. I think Um, so. Or at least, like, interacts with Spider-Man in a very direct way. Yeah. That is funny when you know who Miles Morales is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Miles asks Spider-Man about Peter. And Spider-Man, of course, is just sort of like, oh, yeah, I, he's good. I saved him. Parachute yeah. stuff. Miles um, And Miles is like, oh, okay, cool. Bye. Miles, <laughs> Miles is hilarious in that way. Because I feel like this is not the only time that he's sort of done that. Yeah. I, he's Miles, like... It's not, it's, I don't think it's naivete. We haven't seen a ton of Miles to necessarily make this distinction, but I'm not getting the vibe that it's naivete so much as it's just like, Miles is chill, right? And yeah. Miles is just sort of like, all right, cool. Like, you told like, me that's the truth. That's the he's, truth. <laughs> he's like cheerfully chill. Like, it's yeah. not just like chill as in like, a, oh, cool, bro. He's chill as mm-hmm. in just like, oh, everything's cool. Everything's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Optimistic. And I do think it's interesting because like, you have Anya and Miles who are sort of like attached to the hip thus far, and both of them have this like positive characteristic that when ratcheted up just a few notches probably annoys the shit out of the other one you know what i mean sure because like miles is probably in anya's eyes like too chill sometimes and anya is probably like too intense for miles sometimes but Mm -hmm. it like kind of works because i feel like they can kind of check each other we haven't had to see miles get checked and probably won't because like when it comes to cartoons and stuff like this like his personality is not going to be presented as much as the adversarial one as anya's is unfortunately um but we do see times when miles has been like yo just like calm down it's all right (laughs) But yeah, he just like accepts whatever people are saying. He's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> and then Spider-Man shares with Gwen that he used her wind cushion idea. She kind of burns him anyway, though, because she's like, that's cool. But, you know, Jackal still escaped. Maybe I could have helped you do that. It's fine. I couldn't be okay. there. So he got away. Huh. Sucks. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Gwen. And Spider-Man's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I like that, like, it's a it's a thing that's interesting about her that I could see becoming a character flaw is that, like, she just 
always, it seems like the little that we've seen of her in this episode, it's like her whole vibe is that she always thinks she can just do what everyone else is doing, but better. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just like, yeah, I mean, you could have done that. I, I could have done that. Like, I could see that being a thing that hurts her in the long run if she kind of keeps up the kind of hyper-confident attitude, potentially, which is interesting. Yeah, I think so. I th- and it's it's very nonchalant and very, like, matter-of-fact, which I think, you know, given other versions of Gwen that we've seen, I think could... It's, it's not the same thing, but it could kind of manifest in similar ways to the Gwen that, like, doesn't let people in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, the Gwen that doesn't let people in is actively trying to keep people sort of at a distance. But I think right. this characteristic could result in people keeping their own distance from her, which in either case ends up with a Gwen that feels sort of isolated, but just for different reasons, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but I could I could see it resulting in that if that was something that they considered sort of like a core component of of this Gwen Stacy this spider woman Gwen Stacy sure which I think is in a lot of instances like that is a core component of her in the way that Peter is racked with guilt she is sort of racked with um this fear of connecting to people yeah I must walk alone yep 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 (laughs) I love that about her (laughs) yeah I think it's really fun it's really cool um and it's nice to it's always nice when you see that with like not just like a sad guy like you actually see it with a female character yep it's kind of rare I like yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think it's notable for sure. <laughs> yeah. After Spider-Man leaves Osborne Academy, Harry shares his concern over Spider-Man with uh, Norman. And he's sort of expressing disappointment in in also having to like start his research uh, from Horizon High all over again. And uh, Norman's like, you know, you should, um, you should treat your suspension like a brand new beginning. And in fact, he takes Harry to a lab containing all of Harry's Horizon experiments. So Harry's like, did you steal like my experiments from Horizon? That's weird. And Norman replies that he appropriated them. And then he says, if Horizon can't ensure their security, I can at least make sure they don't fall into the wrong hands. And more tellingly, he says, you're my son. I expect great things from you, Harry. So don't mess up again. Followed by a very (laughs) nasty scowl. Yes. Yikes. Yikes. Yes. That's 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 the that's the Norman Osborn we all know in his relationship exactly. with Harry. There right. you go. Finally rearing its ugly head. <laughs> yeah, don't fuck it up, kiddo. This is sort of so we had the the Herman and Clayton sort of I think representing the the pilot part 1 part of the thesis and then we get this I think is a direct echo of the pilot part 2 thesis which is like hmm. it's about what you do with the second chance. Sure. Norman literally says you should be treating this like a brand new beginning. Oh, good call. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And so I think, I mean, I think it's interesting those two things together being presented again in one episode, or I guess in this case for the first time together in one episode, mm-hmm. and knowing what we know about Harry typically, that second chance and that sort of like, what do I do with it? And who who am I in all of this? It's not yeah. hard to see where things could end up going. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps I I like, you know, I like it's 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 a clean, easy thing to do. But I like that they basically set up Peter and Harry on sort of these parallel paths now from from this point forward, um, which is which is a clever thing to do. Yeah, I think in a show that often is a little heavy handed on some of its themes, Mm -hmm. this so far has been treated very naturally, I think. I think so too. Well, like, I think helps. the science theme is sometimes heavy-handed, even though I get it. 
This is like less of a in-your-face, here's one of our themes. Now let us mention it over and over. This is just like naturally occurring stuff that I think fits really well together. And it's not to say that's not intentional. It definitely is. But it's not. there's not like a big, huge spotlight on it. Yeah. Well, and it's also grounded in character. Like that's where the theme right. comes from is, is these two characters pass. Rather, you know, as opposed to like the science stuff is very much just like the kind of meta of the show and the plots and stuff. So yeah. it's, it's, it's easier, I think, to sort of weave those things in organically, especially if it's something that's going to sort of seed. I don't know, maybe, maybe the entire season might, might ha- kind of carry that theme throughout with Peter and Harry. So yeah, makes sense. I, I like it. I think they could soften up some of their uh, their science stuff. Not to say get rid of it, but <laughs> I think they definitely. I there think are that times it where will. they're like, it, "Let me think about science." <laughs> it really, to me, feels like something that you see early in a show when they're still kind of getting getting their bearings a little bit. Because I feel like there's other shows that I've seen where it's sort of like, y'all really went hard on this in the first few episodes and then you get more interested in the characters and plots now that you've established them and then just like don't bother with that stuff sure. again. So I really, I've very, I very, I, I will happily like eat my words later if I'm wrong and they're still doing these mathematical formulas and talking all about science in episode 25. But I feel like by the end of the season, that will like the science will always be there, but I think that they will have softened on that. But we'll see. Well, I'll, I'll clarify. Like, I don't have a problem with science. Like the science, I love that mm-hmm. this is so heavy on science. My problem is that they literally, sometimes, literally say, "Let me fix this with science." Like, yeah, yeah. It's like the <laughs> you don't need to it say out. it. We're gonna see you doing science. You're literally gonna put formulas on the screen. Like, yeah. it's okay if you just use science jargon without yeah. saying, "Here is some science." Because we so, expect that from, from yeah. these characters. Anyways. Right. So like you don't it's a need, school yeah. of geniuses. Don't need to call it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Yeah. I, I think that it will. But we'll see. I we'll sure see. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I do think I know why, but we'll get to it if it becomes a problem. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Well, later that evening, uh, the jackal arrives at a fancy house. Weird. And this is just before Gwen is actually dropped off at that same fancy house via a taxi carrying a bunch of groceries. And it's your stereotypical grocery bag, even has a baguette sticking out of it, Um, (laughs) just like every TV grocery bag you've ever seen. And inside and in shadow, we see the jackal uh, transforming back into a man as Gwen walks towards the house. And outside, Gwen rings the doorbell, and then the jackal-turned-man answers, and she greets him as Uncle Raymond. Interesting. We will talk more about this, but I certainly wasn't expecting this, and I wasn't expecting her to call him that. Nope. I Well, (laughs) I think he's just called Raymond just because they already have a Miles. No, no, no. I totally get why, but I still wasn't expecting it. (laughs) Yeah. it, It does catch you off guard. I also was not even like because watching it the second time and third time, I was like, oh yeah, I guess the the clues are there for why he why he rescues Gwen. And you know, in the comics, ding, ding, there ding. is <laughs> yeah. And you know, in the comics, like it's creepy, but there is a relationship between Gwen and Miles Warren. Like it's unfortunate and even more unfortunate when he's like her uncle in yeah. the show. But like there is always there has always been a connection between those two characters in some way. So like it it lines up. But yeah, did not catch on to to, to the clues completely blindsided me when we got to it right. and excited yep. me a lot too. So the episode ends the next morning and it ends with Peter and Harry enjoying their pre-school smoothies. And Peter is covering for his disappearance and basically tries to vouch for Spider-Man saying like, Harry, chill. Like 
it's fine. Spider-Man is not a bad guy. Harry rejects this and is like, agree to disagree. And Peter's like, it's great that we can do this. It's great that we can disagree on this and still be friends. And Harry's like, yeah, totally. Like, it would be ridiculous for something like a school to get in between us. Like, it did Herman and Clayton. (laughs) Okay, we'll see. Uh, And the two toast to never becoming like Herman and Clayton. Uh oh. Ding. <laughs> yep. It's fun. It's it gives me so many um kind of um it's like it's it's a little bit it it I think it works fine. It's a little bit heavy-handed. It gives me a lot of um pleasant like flashbacks to like early Smallville episodes when like Clark Kent and Lex Luthor are like we'll be the best of friends. Like our friendship <laughs> will be legendary and it's like no one in the world has ever talked like that unless you were going to become like super a supervillain and superhero later on. Like unless you're to each other's nemeses, that's the only time that ever comes up. But sure. At least I th- at least this feels like more natural than that. It does like, because they're bringing up a specific situation yeah. to compare it to. Let's so it actually like is like them. more cleverly <laughs> done for sure i think it's yeah i think it's i think it's better than the clark and lex stuff honestly so yeah it's just funny because it's sort of like it's the exact same thing which i think is so funny yeah yeah okay well we talked a lot probably already about what we thought of this but like what's left what like we talked a lot about the herman and clayton part of it but like overall what do you think of this and what it um, does one thing that's left is the face of the episode, which is Marshmallow Suit Spider-Man, which I love, oh. even though you think it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that's uh, definitely what I said, for hate sure. hate it with a fiery passion. Yeah, fucking um, worst. You can only fully love something or fully hate it. There's no Full trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's cute. Love it. Uh, I think it's adorable, and it's great. Yeah, overall thoughts. Not, I mean, I don't know. I think it's 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 not really any more than what I already said, where it's just sort of like kind of bored by a chunk of it. The stuff that surrounds the Herman and Clayton stuff, I'm interested in. I think it's it's funny because it's still early enough in the show, given how much that they've been sort of throwing out, that it's still a lot of setup, uh, yeah. which I actually think bodes well for the future of the show because it means that they're going to have very soon they will have a lot of pieces on the board just to start playing with and not have to deal with setting anything up anymore because they've sort of front loaded it with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm still just like in the horizon high two-parter. I'm just really interested to see where a lot of stuff goes. And I truly have no idea with most of them. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm encouraged by the, the big picture stuff. I'm less encouraged by the little picture stuff. I, this, this episode is like weird in the ways that we already sort of explored. And that like, I like all the stuff they're introducing. I like all the foundation that they're laying. And yet I didn't really love the episode so like we'll, we'll see i i hope this uh, and we're so early that i'm not not saying this is what's happening i'm just hoping that it doesn't end up being like the type of series where like the events like the bigger bigger like events are like really awesome and then everything in between you feel like you're kind of like just like waiting through you know yeah um but we'll see we'll see, we'll it's, see. it's it if if that's the case then this episode is sort of the perfect example of that encapsulated in one episode but uh, hopefully that won't be the case. Yeah, I think I'm invested, I'm invested enough in, like, some of the relationships and the characters themselves that unless they really just drop the ball, I think that there would still – even if, like, a lot of episodes come up like this where, like, the, some of the core stuff that happens isn't great, I think there's still enough there that they've set up character-wise that, like – I think it would still work, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's hard. It to would tell. still be interesting if nothing else. Right. Yeah, like yeah, it would yeah. still be a fun thing to sort of like track and keep track of like what their vision for these characters is. Even if like you said, some of the meat and potatoes isn't exactly like yeah. fascinating along the way. 
Yeah. It's hard to tell when it's this early in a show that yeah. is spending this much time setting things up. You know? And we've been doing that a lot with the show, which I feel like we should acknowledge. Like, we've watched three full episodes of the show, plus the origin shorts. I think we're just, like, so excited by something new that, like, we've done so much speculation. We could be entirely wrong about, like, everything. <laughs> yeah. We could, like, be eating yep. our words for so long. <laughs> yep. It could be we'll the see. best show. It could be the worst show. Like, we just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Could be totally fine. I don't know. <laughs> yep. But I'm excited, which is good. That is a good mm-hmm. thing. What else you should be excited about? What's that? It's our Patreon. Hey! Patreon.com slash snappers. We got lots of good stuff uh, coming up. If not all, out already, just lots of great bonus episodes that uh, that you can check out over there. And a whole, whole backlog from last year as well. We did a lot of Patreon episodes last year. Um, so there's a if you haven't visited our Patreon or become a patron before, you've got so much stuff waiting for you. A new thing that we have on our Patreon is an AMA episode that we just did pretty recently that uh, we're just answering questions from from all listeners, any listeners um, about anything. So if you want to learn a little bit more about us and our opinions and thoughts on just everything, not just Spider-Man, check out that episode along with all of our Patreon episodes. Lots of great stuff on there waiting for you. In the meantime, if you'd like to find us individually, where can we find you, Doug? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books, you can check out a podcast I'm on called Novel Gaming with my friends Katie and Vicky, where once a month we pick a book. We have a sort of like book club discussion about it and catch up on everything that we've been watching and playing and thinking about and all sorts of other stuff um, sort of surrounding our discussion on a particular book. What about you, Derek? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. You can also check out both of us on our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we're watching every Pixar film chronologically. You can currently find our episode on Finding Nemo right now, as well as all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com, where we have a full archive of all of our episodes from both Walloping Web Snappers and Falling with Style, actually. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at wallopingwebpod, or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you would please rate, review, and subscribe to us, specifically on Apple Podcasts. Easiest way for people to find us is through Apple Podcasts and through getting lots and lots of ratings. So please check us out there. Next week, Spidey gets a dose of Parker Luck as he faces Black Cat in A Day in the Life. Yes. See you there. Coolest title in the world. Bye. Well, I, uh, <laughs> what? Okay.